the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the big silence. All right, y'all. Welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. Today, my guest is going to be really fun. It's kind of like sitting in a living room, having a conversation with your girlfriend. Emily had to wait an extra hour because we were catching up. (laughs) Sally Emily. (laughs) So Amber Valdez, I'm going to, typically I do an intro separately, but I'm just going to intro you. You are a former TV personality, NFL cheerleader turned best-selling author, intuitive spiritual business coach, live video expert, and you are spiritual awakening guide for the last eight years. You weren't all of that in the past, which we'll get to. You also have the Lightworker Business Mastermind. You have turned into the spiritual teacher, etc. But before we get into all that, I'm going to go way back. But then I'm going to go forward because how I met Amber. So Amber is one of my very good friends. I would say one of my best friends in Austin, Texas. We met in 2020 through someone we've known for almost two decades, Jenna Anton. Shout out to Jenna. Jenna. She introduced us here in Austin, and Amber and I got to know each other through hikes, through Turkey Creek, and realized that we grew up with similar backgrounds and parents and connected in that way. And the so that most of this conversation, I want it to be about like where we came from and how we took hopelessness to hope and to being something and living that life that is great and in our purpose. So, Amber, welcome. Thanks for having me. I know this is long overdue. So, I'm super, super excited that we get to jam and go deep. Yeah. Yeah. So, most listening know my story. So I'd love to hear about little Amber, where Mm. she grew up, the house she grew up in. Yeah, little Amber. All right, we'll take it on back. So I grew up in uh, Northern California in San Jose. I grew up being raised by a single mom who is mentally ill, borderline personality disorder, 
Many of you, I'm sure, are very familiar with that. NOS crosses between schizophrenic and bipolar, if you will. So I grew up in a mentally, verbally, mentally, physically abusive home, financially abusive home. And it was me and my sister. My dad was in and out of our life. My dad was an addict um, for most of his life until the last 13 years he was on this planet. And so I grew up putting blinders on, pretending that everything was okay, just so I could survive, right? And little Amber loved the camera. You know, she had a show and I think she was seven called Cousins TV where her and her little cousin who was like five, four would run around the neighborhood and interview people. And I always liked to dance and perform and was always usually told to stop singing, stop dancing, you know. there really By your parents? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. By my mom in particular. But yeah. I would set up little like sketches on Christmas and dance on the fireplace oh my with God. my cousins and make routines up. Me too. Really? Yeah. No, I would lead my family in Sunday church sermons and like play the keyboard. Oh my God. And I was always performing cute. and I always was like, and I was doing yard sales. Like yes. we were just like the creative type. And then, yes. Yes, yeah. lemonade stands. Oh, oh yeah, I sold those cookies and that lemonade. That's right. I made three hundred dollars in one day when Damn, I was like, "Girl, nine. entrepreneur." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they say you know you, you now. Look at you selling cookies now, protein cookies. <laughs> Tone it up. Good point. Um, <laughs> right. So they say we always know what we want to do when we're little. So lots of dancing, lots of swimming. Um, yeah. So just a lot of play outside a lot, which mm-hmm. I think unfortunately a lot of kids nowadays don't get to experience, but. Whatever I could do to be out of the house, I was, whether mm-hmm. it's skateboarding or swimming or mm-hmm. hiking or building forts or what have you. So my dad was in and out of my life, and I don't remember a lot of my childhood. I have probably 10 memories that I could recall of my childhood. Do you think you blocked it out? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're usually the same memories that come back. But my mom threw me out the first time when I was four years old. So I got thrown out of... The, one of the first memories I have is all my clothes and my toys being thrown in my grandmother's yard. Um, and my mom literally dragging me out of her Toyota. And my mom saying something like, you, you fucking keep her. Mm. And um, you deal with her, right? So I ended up going to the nail salon with my grandma. She, I was going to work with my grandma. My grandma had an insurance agency. So I don't know how long that went on where I was like living at my grandma's. But that's just what I did. And I don't think I asked any questions. I learned recently from my aunt that my grandmother was actually going to try and sue my mom to get me and to like take us from my mom. Um, My Nana never told me that. But when my grandma died, I took it really hard. It was probably like losing my mom. I lost like 15 pounds in a month and it was knee deep in my exercise addiction and my food obsession. And that was the one thing I could control. So my Nana, my grandma was definitely my first biggest cheerleader. So the fond memories I do have of my childhood would be at her house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you speak about, all right, little kid. I actually, the difference is you say you have about 10 memories of growing up. And for some reason, I like have it like a movie in my head. Mm. But talking to my sister, sometimes she reminds me of memories that I don't remember, but I know there's a lot of blocking too. Let's talk about food disorders. Yeah. Because there's a lot of questions I get about that and how that came about and that control and what that did to you. Was that your coping mechanism, the things that you can control? And as a Mm -hmm. kid, okay, I can control this. And then also, because you are in the work that you do now, 
what would your advice be to someone who's trying to find control through food, but then shift that control into something that's better for them? Yeah. So I think for me, the control food stuff, I mean, I don't say obviously, but I was very active as a kid, very active as a cheerleader and cheerleading like saved my life, right? That's like how, and we could probably go into high school and where, where, where really it got real, being in and out of child protective services and so all the things that were happening. But I think I didn't start the food obsession stuff till I think I went to, I met this girl when I was like maybe 17 and she was like teaching me to throw up. And she was like, let's eat all this food and then we just throw up. And I remember just being like, why? <laughs> let's just work out. Like, I didn't understand it. And so the puking didn't didn't work for me. That was just, just like one of the most traumatic things for me is to throw up. So that didn't work. But moving into Hollywood and living in LA mm-hmm. and back when I was on TV and I was gigging and interviewing celebrities on and off the red carpet for different outlets, you know, everybody wanted to be like Julianne Rancic. And bless your heart, Juliana. But she's here set. in Austin now. Is she? Mm-hmm. Wow. She works out of the collective. Does she? Well, yeah. we might see her sometime. Yeah. Bless her heart. But there was the status of like, if you wanted to be on E, you needed to be as skinny as Juliana. Mm-hmm. And I was working out probably five hours a day. I would go, I would run Running Canyon in the morning. I would go to work at CBS. I would <laughs> drink fiber drinks. And I don't Take think. Take a I, nice poop. Yeah. I don't think I had a a carb for like three years. I was like mm-hmm. a psychopath. It's a big thing back in the day. I'm 44 now, but like that was like no carbs was like a thing. And now mm-hmm. we're like, no carbs are actually your friend. We actually do need those. So I was like living on kale and eggs, which learned kale completely screwed up my digestive tract. I was working out in the morning, then I was going to to work. And in the at my at my desk at CBS, I was doing squats in the elevator. I was going to get talent. I was I was always like taking the stairs. And then after work, I would go to the gym and I would go to kickboxing. And then I would go to yoga. And then I'd go home and I would run Runyon Canyon again, like at night. And then I would usually do a 30-minute ab workout. And then when I'd come home from the nightclub, <clears throat> living on tequila and cigarettes, I wouldn't have any carbs, but I would eat a bunch of carrots. And then I would wake up before my hangover would come and I would go run Runyon Canyon to sweat it out. And so I literally was, my whole world revolved around exercise. And I, I look back on photos and I was flipping ripped back then, but for some reason I thought I was fat. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting what the mind does. And then moving into lingerie football, I play lingerie football. The LFL. We've, the LFL. We've, we've talked about that. I auditioned for that <laughs> when did? I was in Hollywood. And did you? I was denied. I can't believe it. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I played for the, the I played for the LA Temptation, but I also played for the San Diego Seduction, and then they traded me to the Temptation. But around that time, I mean, we were only living on protein shakes, and we were working out, you know, with NFL you know, players and uh, our former NFL players and coaches. And I'd like throw up at practice just because we worked so, we weren't eating enough, right? But yeah. we had this pressure because we have to play football essentially in your brawn underwear. So a lot of body dysmorphia. I look back at those photos and I thought it was fat back then, which is so crazy. I weighed like 109 pounds. Is the LFL still around? I don't know. I probably I not. not. I feel Is like it? they probably so. got sued. Emily's like, no. I mean, I, I broke my... Not. They ended up making me a sideline correspondent because my agent pulled me into the office one day. He's like, let's talk about this laundry football thing. And I was like, yeah, what? You know, I was so passionate about it. I was very angry back then. So I had a lot of anger to get out. And uh, they were like, so let me guess, you're waddling on the red carpet in a sling and crutches, like a black guy. How's that going to work? Hey, Bradley Cooper, uh, like, what's your plan? And I was like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. Just football. So that was the end of my LFL days. <laughs> Your football days were over. Yeah. So let's talk about Hollywood because I experienced that 
and I, we're around the same age and we're at the same clubs at the same time. Oh, we girl, didn't know. Sure. We crossed paths <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but the pressure and the difference of Hollywood back then. Oh, yeah. And today, there was just a ton of pressure. Even oh, and like talking about the fitness industry, even when I started, I mean, I've been into the fitness industry since my early 20s. And even from the beginning of Tone It Up, the difference between like what's important and like how you view yourself and then today and coming into confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But talk about. Just yeah. I mean, they're just, it feels like there wasn't enough abs for me to feel worthy. It's like there wasn't enough. I couldn't do enough sit-ups, I would always say, or squats to feel good enough. I mean, even like looking at my body back then with like probably zero, close to 0% body fat, I still didn't feel good. I still didn't feel whole, complete enough. And now I'm in a space in my life where definitely not a gym rat. I'm definitely not watching my calories or my carbs. And I'm like, (laughs) I want to live and I want to like, if I'm 10 pounds thinner, 10 pounds heavier, like... I just want to be happy and enjoy my life. And I feel like my whole, I remember my grandma was dying. Everyone, a lot of people in my family eat mm. for their emotions. I'm the opposite, usually. Mm. Um, when my grandma passed away, I lost a lot of weight. Um, when I've lost people in my life, I usually go to the opposite. But I remember just like judging everything everyone was eating and just like looking on their plates. And I just remember this sense of like, like you said, it was this sense of control. Like I can't control what's going on in my life, in Hollywood, with my grandma, but I can control what food goes into my body. So I think it was probably some sort of self-soothing opportunity that I could actually have control of what was going in my mouth. But I also feel like once I was going through some breakups, you know, that were, I almost took my life in two breakups throughout my life. And um, one of my early 20s and the one was I was 33 years old, around the time where I had my fifth call back on E! And came off that reality show I was bullied on and there was just like all this pain and activated so much stuff. But I remember those moments of just feeling like I was punishing myself. Mm -hmm. Like it was almost like an internal punish of like, no, I want to feel more pain so I'm not going to eat. What what year was this? I would say that the time I'm talking about was probably when I was 20... 21. 2000. 22. Early 2000s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to someone now, because we're actually talking about it, back then it was like fully hidden and now we're, we're grown-ups and the world and society and what we're doing and the work that we do is healing and opening up these conversations. But someone listening who is hiding disordered eating, what would you say? Mm. Yeah, one of the girls that I look at as a sister is deep in her bulimia. And I know she's throwing up. And um, man, I think that the food addiction or the bulimia or the exercise addiction, it all comes from you feeling like you're not good enough. And that comes from what your upbringing? Was it there comes from, I think, not having really the tools to deal with your emotions and what you're navigating through. So I think you find something that you have control over. And then if I remember feeling like, well, if I look good on the outside, then everyone's going to think that I'm okay, like that I'm enough. Like I, like even if I, I'm going to put on the smile, right? Like the cheerleading and then going to NFL as a cheerleader. Like as long as I look good on the outside, no one's going to know how unhappy and how much I hate myself on the inside. 
And I look at pictures of that girl and I'm like, man, she did not love herself. But on the outside, it probably looked like I loved myself. I worked in TV. I was fit. I was beautiful. I have all these great things going for me. But inside, I was like dying inside. And so I feel like if you're in a space where you're, you are having control over your food or your weight and exercise addictions are real. And that's why the competition industry triggers the hell out of me because I just see mm-hmm. my old version. I probably should have competed because I was so fit back then, <laughs> but it's to cover up. And oftentimes people find themselves that addicted to the exercise because they are avoiding feeling something on the inside. So how did you shift? When were, what was your aha? Like, this is not healthy for me. What was, what was that moment when you're like, I'm actually not happy. I'm not happy. I don't need to focus on my weight. How do I shift my happiness and my joy and actually look at life and be able to live and know that I deserve to live in joy? I think it was when I started diving into self-development. It was that dark night of the soul moment when I walked up the set of E! News, when I realized I didn't want to talk about celebrities anymore, no matter much how much they were paying me. I realized that my dad had died and I didn't really deal with the grief. I was going through a relationship. I found out my boyfriend was a sex addict. It all kind of came piling down at once. It was that dark night of the soul moment where I realized my dad was dead. My relationship was dead. My dream was dead. And I felt like there was no point in me living. And I was like, I'm not happy. And I remember being in an emotional intelligence training and one of the coaches looked to me, we're supposed to be like not smiling and we're supposed to be just looking in each other's eyes. And I remember he looked at me and he goes, stop hiding behind your smile. And I remember just being enraged and like, fuck you, this guy doesn't fucking know me. Like I'm a cheerleader. That's what we do. We smile. And I remember driving back home to Hollywood. I just started bawling my eyes out and being like, oh my God, I have been hiding behind my smile. Everything's not okay. And I'm not fucking happy at all. And it was like this just big moment of being like, I've been trying so hard to protect from being honest with myself in the world that I was not happy. It takes a lot of courage to, number one, recognize that and have that aha. But then how do you turn that into transformation and movement for someone like, I I imagine so many people are like, yeah, I'm faking it. I'm faking 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 the happiness. Yeah. I'm in a job that I just am pretending like everything's great. I'm hanging out with the celebrities. I'm doing this. And then it's like, oh, this isn't what I want, but I'm lost. Mm -hmm. So how do you find yourself? Well, I think the first thing is giving yourself permission to be honest about that because we can't intervene in a world we cannot see. So I think there's a lot of people going through that right now. There, we're going through a massive awakening on the planet and there's so many people waking up and looking at the person they're sitting next to being like, I'm not in love with you anymore and I don't want to be in this marriage. Waking up and going to work every day, feeling like you're selling your soul slowly and you're dying slowly. Looking around your friendships and being like, I don't want to go to the bar anymore. I don't want to meet up for like play dates on Sunday. Like we get to that point, I think, hopefully, I mean, bless, I mean, prayers that we get to that point in our life where we can really start to wake up and ask ourselves and start questioning, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Are we doing them just because we've always done them? Are we doing them because we need to be a good mom or a good wife or a good husband? Are we doing them just because this makes a good living and we should be happy and grateful? You know, getting to a space where we're giving ourselves permission to explore those uncomfortable emotions and not just 
take back a glass of wine or not just go to the gym and try to power through it when we're going through something heavy and sitting in that sorrow and sitting in that grief and giving yourself permission to get support in that, whether it's a coach, whether it's a program, whether it's um, a therapist, you know, where they go on retreat is like, I think every person should give themselves at least a few days to a week out of the year to really give themselves an opportunity to reflect and digest and check in with, is this what I want to be doing? And is this bringing me joy? Because like for so long, I was just like, I worked out and that's what I did. Well, so many people are afraid of change. Oh. And so many people are addicted to the nine to five job Mm -hmm. because that's what we're taught. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is what you do in life. You wake up, you go to work, you come home. And you you rinse and repeat. Yeah. Yeah. You make it, you work to pay the bills. And there's, and it's so, I mean, this is what I've been doing for almost a decade. I mean, there's so many people that are literally just making enough money to get by. And yet they still keep putting their boots on and going to work every day just to get by. And then again, and again, and again, and again, it's the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing, expecting a different result. It's the matrix way. And it's really sad. That's like, unconscious slavery of like, I'm just going to keep selling my soul. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter if I'm sad. Doesn't matter. I mean, literally I remember on Sunday nights, I worked at an agency in Hollywood and I remember just like squeezing my, I mean, I would wake up and my my nails would be engraved into my, my palms of my hand because I would be clenching all night long because I was, I had such anxiety to go to work. Yeah. Because it was so stressful and it was so traumatic and it was such an abusive environment. I'm sure it's changed. I'm not naming the agency now, but- <laughs> It was such an abusive place that like, I felt like I didn't have a chance or a choice because I wanted to be an agent and I needed to work there. Yep. But it's like so many people are doing that on a different level that they're dreading that Monday, right? The, the Sunday scaries. And it's an opportunity for you to get really honest with yourself and to lean into, you did not wake up every day to suffer. You didn't come on this planet to just barely get by and pay your bills and buy shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm not dissing the nine to five no, either. No, I think it works for people. People, I mean, I know because Bobby's told me many times. He's like, "You need to take some time off," and I'm like, and then I started the big silence and wrote a book and a podcast. He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "This is what I do. It's my mm-hmm. service," and it's like giving back of coming from a similar childhood, and I'm alive, and I want to make sure the rest of society is has the tools to be happy and it's even like the rinse and repeat that you're talking about and we need all the nine to fives we need the doctors hustling we need yeah. the the nurses that work so hard but it's the tools so if you're in that role too what are the tools that you would suggest to make sure you're not rinsing and repeating every day that you're living and you're being present and you can enjoy life we are here to we need to make money we need mm-hmm. to work but yeah. we also need to find joy and That's happiness. Right. Yeah. We're either working to thrive or we're working to survive. And I think, sadly, so many people are just working to survive. And I think it takes a lot of courage, like you said, to really start to get honest about that. So I would say the first thing that I teach my students and have for almost a decade is morning practice, is morning ritual. When I often will talk to people who are in corporate or in the nine to five grind, it's that their morning consists of jumping out of bed putting the coffee on, getting dressed and flying out the door. Mm-hmm. And then they're busy all day working on someone else's dream. And then they come home and it's kids and it's dogs and it sits in that. And it's just enough to like put on a tube, does it zone out and then rinse and repeat. We're not leaving a lot of space for ourselves to connect to our higher self, God, 
a higher power, our angels, our guides, whatever it is that you believe, your soul. If you're too busy, your guides can't speak to you. And that's something that growing up the way we did, I was very involved in a lot of things because I didn't want to be at home. Mm-hmm. So that created a pattern for survival that got me here, but won't get me there. And that's something I'm unlearning even right now at 44, I'm about to be 44 years young, is that I don't know how to stop because stopping was never safe. Because if I stopped, then I had to be honest with myself about how painful my situation was at home. Mm-hmm. And so if I just keep moving and shaking, mm-hmm. then I actually don't have to feel. I don't have to face off with how gnarly it is. And I actually don't have to have the courage to change. And as a child, we couldn't. We were stuck. There was nothing we could do. So I created a pattern of survival and fight or flight, which again, works until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then we trade our nine to fives for our three, six fives. And then we are victims to the life that we created. And then we end up not thriving. We end up just surviving. Mm-hmm. So I say morning ritual. I say non-negotiable waking up. And people are like, you don't understand. I have a newborn. You don't understand. I wake up. I was like, yeah, I do. And I've had clients that have newborns. And what kind of a mom do you want to be? What kind of a wife do you want to be? What kind of a teacher do you want to be? How do you want to be in traffic? If you can even take five minutes Mm -hmm. to just sit and breathe, five minutes to tap, five minutes to put on a song and chant, you know, like, my morning is completely different if I literally take two minutes on an oh, app yeah. that just teaches you to breathe for two minutes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, five breaths. You can do five breaths for five day. minutes or for three minutes. Like just giving yourself permission to anchor into who do I want to be today? I love myself. I approve myself. Giving yourself some affirmations, uh, journaling for one minute straight. But taking that time to reset your nervous system. And I think mm-hmm. that's what it's about. It's like I was put to bed being screamed at and I was woken up to being screamed at. So my mom never stretched with me once or walked around the block. Like these are not things I learned as a child, okay? So learning to reset your nervous system and get you to that that grounded point so that you can choose consciously instead of everything you reacting to and it choosing you. And so I think it's a pattern of choice and a pattern of pre- uh, practice of presence mm-hmm. and not being a victim to grabbing your phone right away. I mean, that has I'm game terrible. changed do you not grab your phone in the fuck morning? To the no. How when? How long do you wait? Until I feel like it. Like in some days, I it's harder that. than others. I try I that. I have to. I have it on. Do not disturb. I know. I, have I know it on the you other do. Side. And yeah. I do too. Yeah. But I'm always. I know. I'm working on not grabbing my phone in the morning. That's going to be big. If you start with 15 minutes and you set a timer, mm-hmm. if you leave it on the other side. And you just make yourself drop into meditation first, then you Mm -hmm. don't look at it. The reason is one email, one text message can completely spiral your freaking day. You're in the hole. And that's what happens. And then I'm anxious and I'm irritated and I'm annoyed and I'm snapping at people. And I'm like, yeah, no. So first thing, and if you have to go outside. Yeah. That's also what I want to say is that is when we are in nature, we are resetting our nervous system to the algorithm and the rhythm of of the heartbeat of the earth. Yeah. And because we live in a time-space reality with so much technology and current and waves and things affecting our physical little bodies, we're getting scrambled with our connection to the divine, connection to hearing ourselves think, connection to our souls. And so when we give ourselves permission to take our feet off, go into the earth, go touch a tree. I'm the weirdo that's hugging the trees that you walk by. That's me. But like, 
resetting my nervous system and my energy field to that frequency of Mother Earth, that allows divine spirit in my mind, God, universe, source, angels, whoever you believe, to actually, so that you can listen. Because I think our guides and our angels and our unseen team are speaking to us all the time, but because we pack our schedule so much, we aren't actually hearing. And those can be the golden nuggets to say, call your old neighbor, Johnny, Mm -hmm. and tell him about you not happy at work. And next thing you know, you're like, well, I've been talking to Johnny in 10 years. Let me call Johnny. And then Johnny's like, I wanted to, I'm so glad you called. They're hiring at my office. And you're like, oh my God. And like, that's how it works. When you, when you calm down, slow your mind down, quiet your mind down long enough, you get divine downloads and you can hear the whispers of your team that are going to make your life a hell of a lot easier. So if you're in a space right now where you're in between the jobs and you're in between, you're confused or you're, your marriage or you're this or you're that, my medicine for you is get outside. Yeah. I always feel so much better if literally, um, one of my favorite things in the morning, because Bobby and I take the dogs outside in the morning to go yeah. to the bathroom. Yeah. But it, whenever I miss it, I'm like, you didn't wake me up to take the, the palm potty time. I'm like, I really enjoy that moment because we sit down outside mm. and breathe in fresh air. Yeah. And the little animals are around us. That's one of my favorite parts of the day. But another thing I was like getting out in nature and like just walking around in the trees and yeah. like looking up. And I would suggest anyone who's on a Zoom calls all day, like take that break outside, shut it down for five minutes mm. and just go breathe fresh air and look at the trees and think of what you're grateful for in the, the middle of the day. And move your body. And yeah. I love that you said look up. This is something I've been talking to friends about lately. You know, back in the day, if you think about even like in Europe, there was so much art on the ceilings of mm-hmm. like churches and coliseums. There were so many things to look up at. Mm-hmm. And that opened our heart chakra. And if you think mm-hmm. about alignment with the physical body, we were always looking up back then, looking up. And I remember living in Hollywood on the grind, building my business. And I remember I would always take my phone and I'd be doing texts and emails and social media and doing all the things, even walking my dogs. Like I wasn't even present. And then finally I realized I need to stop taking my phone on these walks around the block with my dogs. And I was like, look at these flowers. Look at this tree. Oh my God, I lived here for two years. I didn't even know this tree was here. Like, how is that even possible? But as we practice looking up, we're opening our heart chakras. We're back, actually aligning ourselves so we can move our life force energy up. And then we're also making sure that we're We're not caving in because the way we are on our phones and our computers, Mm -hmm. we're literally becoming hunchbacks in Notre Dame and we're closing off our heart and we're closing off our connection to the divine. So looking up sounds so silly, but most of us go through life every day, car to office, office to car. We're not even looking up outside of the sky. Absolutely. I see that. And so you're not present. You're just robots. Slaves to the matrix, do, 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 go, 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 little rat race. And that gives us disease and that gives us depression and that really affects our mental health. And so there's little things we can do like walking outside and leaving our phone and putting our hands on a tree and looking up at the sky. Like it sounds so silly, but that's why when I had my sister, she's going through some hard times right now in her marriage and mom of two and She's got a baby that's eight and one that's three who has special needs. And I got her to finally get in the car with me and drive her to the beach. 15 minutes. And she was like, oh my God, I needed this. Yeah, It's 15 minutes away from her house. She hasn't gone there in years. And 
the ocean and the walk literally reset her nervous system. She looked like a whole new person. Yeah. One of my friends who you all probably know who I'm going to talk about, I won't say her name, but she's going through a lot. She's in LA. (laughs) And just going through a lot, new baby, just going through the shit. And I was like, have you been outside today? You're three blocks from the beach. Have oh you gone God. to the beach? She's like, no, I haven't been there in months. Oh. Like, just yeah. leave your phone at home, walk down to the beach, yeah. and breathe. And Stop she the did baby it. on your chest yeah. and go. Yeah. Oh. Have, or leave the baby. Leave, leave the baby with the with daddy. Yeah. Someone's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she did it. And she's like, wow. Like, it's that. It can be so simple. It's just those moments where you can take care of yourself. And... So I want to challenge everyone listening to, and we'll put it in the show notes as a challenge. Go outside today and Please. touch a tree and look up. And breathe. Two minutes. Two, Two minutes. minutes. Two minutes. So I have a question for you. Yeah. You're a single gal currently. Hopefully not for long. <laughs> Y'all currently. can introduce me on Instagram yes. to any eligible bachelor. Okay. Amber is looking. She is manifesting. I am open and receptive to my divine compliments. Yes, yes, yes. Bring them on in. Let's go. Do you think because of your upbringing that you've been attractive to certain types of men that have not been great for for you um, and what you actually want to manifest? And how did you come to realize that? And how are you moving forward in your journey to find that manifestation? Hmm. Great question. 100% yes. So having an addict father and a mentally ill mother, you can imagine there was quite a bit of abandonment issues that were there. I used to think my abandonment issues stemmed from my father, but I realized my greatest abandonment was from my mom. Mm -hmm. And again, at four years old, being basically abandoned at my grandma's house. So there's been that. I've been attracted to people that I have to work hard for them to love me or mm-hmm. prove my worth to them. And oftentimes, if you're attracting someone you have to prove your worth to, they don't own their worth either. Ah, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So I've been attracted to a lot of addicts. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of addicts. We'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. Been attracted to a lot of unemotionally available people. Mm-hmm. And because narcissism is a big part of borderline personality disorder, of course that I've been attracted to narcissists. Mm-hmm. Those individuals that don't care about my feelings, <laughs> my feelings don't matter. It's their way or the highway. And that's been really painful to witness because as a child, I had to turn myself inside out to not rock the boat at home and then turn myself inside out at school and high school to be what everyone needed me to be and to put on a perfect smile and be peppy and be a cheerleader and make sure everything's fine. It was the perfect mask for someone like me to wear. And it did save my life. I'm grateful for cheerleading in that way. If I didn't have cheerleading, I probably would have been dead in a ditch, knocked up or addicted to some sort of drugs at some point. It gave me something to focus my energy on and cheering other people on and being happy for others. But that had me overgive and overcompensate to feel worthy. So yeah, how I've recognized that is I've been in three back-to-back narcissistic relationships. It's been really painful to be honest with myself about that this year, finally. And the saddest part, which is also the greatest blessing of awareness, is recognizing that because I had to put blinders on in my for 18 years growing up, pretending everything was okay, I've done that in relationships as well. 
I've done that in relationships with friends. I've done that in relationships with employers or employees and just put my blinders on, focused at my focused on the top of the mountain and my goal and had to kind of live in an illusion. And it's been a really humble piece of pie to eat lately, to be like, wow, when I get out of these relationships, I realize how painful they were and how abusive they were. But when I was in them, I wasn't actually be able to know that because it was just normal for me. And I didn't realize how deeply ingrained chaos and abuse and not getting my needs met was normal, how normal that actually was. And so trying to find this new baseline of what even discernment is and being honest that I haven't even had that level of discernment because it's just felt normal to be treated like shit in relationship and keep trying to change and take more classes and get more coaching and be a better human and all the things so that that person will love me and stop acting crazy. Yeah, if you haven't, the podcast for The Big Silence with Dr. Z, and we talk all about narcissists. Yeah, I heard you just interviewed her, so I'm looking yeah, forward to that. Yeah, listen to that. Yeah. And just message her. If you need someone to help you break through from attaching yourself to narcissists, go talk to her. She's incredible at that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's been a really, phew, like, Wow. You know, here I am out here in the world teaching people to love themselves, own their worth, get paid for their gifts. And I've been attracting people who've literally sucked. I've allowed to suck me of my light because of the self-preservation and self-defense mechanism just to pretend everything's okay. This illusion and this delusion to survive. And so I'm working on releasing those blinders and not trying to fit into what someone needs and really like look at the opposite. I'm like, oh, wow, you're cute. You like me. I like you. Let's give it a go. <laughs> like yeah. that's basically been my baseline. Yeah. And now I have non-negotiables and now I have green lights and green flags instead of just like red flags. And What are your green lights? Oh, so <laughs> my coach would be very proud of me right now. Yes, coaches have coaches. I'm a trainer. Because we go from and good I, to great. Yeah, I have a trainer, personal trainer and I have a trainer. That's the way. Therapists should have therapists. Amen. Amen. Because we can't see our own stuff. So green flags, emotionally available, Mm -hmm. can apologize. The last few partners don't know how to apologize or take responsibility. It's always, it was always my fault. Um, So they can take responsibility. They can say, sorry, they're committed to resolve quickly, resolve and repair quickly. I don't want to hold on to the silent treatment for days and days and no more addicts whatsoever not even previous addicts. I'm not available for it. Bless anyone that is. I just, for me, I I can't. Financially responsible and stable is a big one. Yeah, because you've been the financially responsible and stable one in all your relationships since I've known you. Since my whole life. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've ever dated a man who's made the same as me or more than me. And I've loaned all my partner's money and it creates this dynamic of not awesome. Yeah, so yeah. No, no more of that. Financially stable and secure, connected to God and spirit. My friends love. I think that's important. I don't think I've ever asked my friend's opinion about my partners. I think if I probably did, they probably wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't have been with those guys because mm-hmm. I, I have a blessing and a curse up until now of seeing the best in people. Mm-hmm. And that makes me a great coach, but not a, not so much when choosing partners sometimes. And I'm like, again, with those blinders, like, oh, they're trying, they're they're building their business or, you know, oh, they grew up this way. They have so much trauma. Like they have so yeah. much, like making all these excuses. So yeah, someone who is in the work, committed to doing the work, consent, like consent, consent in many different ways. 
someone that doesn't walk out when I'm crying, someone that actually can mm-hmm. hold the emotion. And um, so, yeah, that's just a few. So I have a question because mm-hmm. this was how I was coming from the background we have growing up. Did you ever in your head think you would end up like your parents so then you made yourself small? I was, because I did. Give me, what do you mean by that? Made yourself small? Um, Never thought I would, for my mom, not my dad, but, um, you know, I thought... your light? Yeah. I thought I was going to have a mental illness like my mother and my grandfather. Mm -hmm. And so, as you know, turned to drugs and escaping through bad habits and just never thought I would achieve anything Mm. because I just thought I was doomed. But then I look now, you know, I look now and like, it's that aha moment when you're like, I am not that. I am making this decision. I will not be my parent. Mm -hmm. And then that's why I always say like, I'm damn proud of myself now. Yeah. For moving through everything. And that's why with The Big Silence, I want to give back so much because I think it's a story and a life that so many people who are almost giving up on themselves, they shouldn't. Like, there's hope. But did you ever feel that? I think that had to do with, like, scarcity. I just saw my mom always telling us how we couldn't afford everything. And I feel like I gave up on myself in the regards to, like, motherhood. Mm -hmm. I felt like, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm ever going to be a mom. Because if this is what being a mom looks like, I'm good. Yeah. And I think I was told all the time I should have been aborted. And I was Mm. told things Mm -hmm. like... um. Yeah, I should have reported you when your dad said that I told me to. And Oh, yeah, I got that. I yeah. wish you were never born. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've ruined my, you've ruined my life, and I've given everything to you. And, you know, it's your fault that I'm $30,000 in debt. And so just all these things. So I was like, yeah, you're not making motherhood look really exciting at all. So up until I would think I started being a nanny in mm-hmm. like my, my 30s that I broke that wound of like, I don't want kids. And I kind of realized like, God, I'm going to be a great mom. You know, I had like four kids at a time and like three dogs and was nannying for multiple families at once and high profile families and crushing it and going out on auditions and doing my thing. And I was like, dude, I'm a badass of a mom. I'm great with kids. And so that, I'm so grateful I got to heal that. So I think I wrote off motherhood because of that. I also wrote off marriage because my mom was married five times. So I like also just kind of wrote that off as well. And so those are ways in which I think that I I did do that. But also being like, I'm not going to be like my mom. I think that also added a lot to my food. And my uh, my mom struggles with weight. Mm-hmm. And she self-soothes with food as well. So And my family, that's kind of like a running theme in my family is obesity. And so they would always make fun of me for being thinner than them and call me names. And in school, people called me stick and things like that. Because I was just, I got my period at like 16. I was a very late bloomer. I was a tiny and so, yeah, I, I think I, I wanted to to make sure that I wasn't going to be fat mm-hmm. and I wasn't going to be consumed by that. So I think that turned into this whole like control thing. And also with money, I think because I was so sick of hearing, like, I guess I was told at four that we were going to be on the streets. My dad told me that, that he gave me a $5 bill. And I said, no, daddy, you keep it. We're going to be on the streets. And I, he said, what are you talking about? Mommy said, we're going to be on the streets. So I think at like four years old, I was already having this fear of Mm -hmm. scarcity. And so as soon as I could work, I worked. And I worked like four or five jobs at a time. And that's kind of created this go, 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 do, do, do. I think because there is a running wound that I don't want to be broke 
and I don't want to be on the streets. Yeah. So someone who needs to overcome their fear of worthiness, can you give three tips? Whew. Yeah, it's something that I'm, I thought I conquered and I'm still in this, even though I teach this stuff, I'm starting to notice that right now, especially in like the realm of relationship friendships, mm-hmm. which is in, which my blind spot. I was like, God, I have such great friendships. And there's some women that I'm beginning to distance myself from that I've been friends with for a long time. And I have kind of gotten mirrored back to people who don't know them that well and haven't known me that well of just sharing, wow, you really give so much to your friends and it doesn't look like they reciprocate. Mm-hmm. And it's very noticeable to the outside, but again, not to me. It's just how I've always showed up. Yeah, which is fine. Which is fine. <laughs> and it's also to a point where you also want to have people that show up that way for you too. Yeah. If you're the one that's always doing all the things, it came from a wound of like, I don't want to be left and I want to fit in and I want to be at the cool kids table and I want to feel worthy. So yes, feeling like it's from pure because I am a giver. But as my dad used to say, like givers must draw boundaries because takers rarely do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I have overcompensated in all the areas, but friendship in particular has been so loud for me this year of just throwing birthdays or blessing ways or events. and You do do a lot. And you, I am so grateful you did my mom's ceremony. Yeah. It was beautiful. I was so honored. And you do a lot. And you do a lot for me. Yeah. And you didn't even know me and like let me stay at your house for like weeks until my house was ready. I mean, Mirror, mirror. So like with you, I definitely feel our energy exchange is is equal and it feels good. And I never feel taken advantage of by you or I never feel like I just feel like it's, we see each other and it feels like an equal energy exchange. And when you asked me to do that, I was like, it was an honor. It was a gift for me. And so I do those things out of the kindness of the heart for the people I love, but starting to get really honest that sometimes like you're there, you've been there for me through my breakups. You've been there for me when my mental health has been, I'm like, my mental health is not good, you know, and you've, you've been there to pick up the phone and you check on me and you're a real friend. And I noticed that I'm that friend for a lot of people, but they don't reciprocate. Mm-hmm. And that's been the kind of the most painful thing this year is to look at these friendships that I've really poured into. They haven't had my back and haven't done that back. So if you're someone who's realizing like, I think you get to take an inventory and this is, an, this is something I've shared with my students is just because a lot of people will say, well, I love myself. Like I was that person. I, t- I do love myself. Of course I love myself, right? But with further investigation, like let's take a look at your relationship. Scale of one to 10. 10 being f- out of this world, awesome, nothing could change. And one being like, what relationship? Number two, like your relationship to yourself. How do you treat yourself? You know, number three, your bank account, your relationship with money, right? Like your friendships. So your relationship with yourself is your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, all the healths, right? So when you do that inventory and you, it's, I call it like the self-worth inventory, your self-worth conversation is a direct reflection of everything in your life. And so the areas that I get to work on my self-worth conversation is most definitely in romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. 100%. I would say that self-worth conversation is, is definitely still very much getting to get loved on. And how can I love myself even more and learn more discernment and learn more, 
not even like I'm great at self-care, like I'm the queen of self-care, but in ways of which, where am I sacrificing my needs and my wants and desires to fit into someone's needs and desires for me? Where am I self-sabotaging, abandoning, self-abandoning? Mm-hmm. And so I think taking a self-worth inventory of your mm-hmm. bank account, your relationships, your career, right? Your friendships and your relationship with yourself and giving yourself a scale, a scale of one to 10 or scale of one to five. And then really physically looking at it and being like, wow. So if I want to get to a five or if I want to get to a 10, what do I get to focus on? And what do I get to maybe release? What do I get to be really honest about so that I can make small little pivots of change, right? So that would be the first step in the self-worth conversation. And I think making a list of everything that brings you joy yeah, I like that. I actually say like I tell people to write five things that make you happy. So when you get in a rut, mm-hmm. like go to that and go do that. Mm-hmm. Go touch a tree. Yeah. Have a cup of tea, you know. And I think like when we start to focus on what brings us joy, we can start to take an inventory of what we're actually spending our time on and who we're spending our time around. And that's probably one of the biggest breakthroughs as we go deep into this in my initiation program where my students are taking inventories about everything in their life and they're just like, holy shit. Like the people I surround myself with are super negative and insert the blank. And then really going, wow, I'm choosing that. Like, and, and, and that's when things start to change is when you can literally take an eagle's eye view and give yourself a little bit of like an honest, like, feedback and report card because we don't do that often. And that's the thing. You can't intervene in a world you cannot see. Yeah. One of the biggest shifts in my life in the last decade, because we're always growing, I would say even in the past six, seven years, was setting boundaries and learning to say no. Yeah, no is a big one. I mean, you know, today I canceled like half so my day. So proud of you. I told I you, I was like, good job. <laughs> I was like, how is she going to come back from this whirlwind of Travel and, Travel and fundraising and relation and oof. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was big for you. Yeah. And maybe back in the day, you wouldn't have done that. Mm-mm. You'd have grinded and powered through and zombied out and you would have self-abandoned your needs. Yeah. You know? So like that's a step in the self-love direction. That's a step in the self-worth direction. And, you know, you only want to be in relationship and business and partnership with people who would do that, that you would be like, absolutely, take yeah. the day. It's all good. And I used to like feel guilty for setting boundaries and saying no, but today, but then that's also the manifesting the people in your life, the things that I had to, I said no to and canceled and rescheduled. Everyone was like, yeah, you deserve it. No problem. Like you've been like, and those are the people I want in my life. Shout out to my number one, my trainer, Sandy. Yeah, Sandy. (laughs) But, and yeah. So, yeah, surround yourself by people who get it. And you would, and if Sandy called you and was like, girl, I'm wiped, I need a day. And you'd be like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like those are the people we need in our life on both sides. Yeah. Any last tip on worthiness, overcoming fear of worthiness? I have the students do like an inventory of like their self-love avatar. And I think Mm. that self-love equals self-worth, right? And I think like, you can't really own your worth until you really get clear on how much you love yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like self-care or soul care plus, what is my formula? Self-love and self-care plus, I can't remember, <laughs> equals self. I'll give you it to you. You have to sign up for notes. your program. Yeah. yeah, but basically <laughs> the case in point is there is a formula to get you to our self, your self-worth conversation. Yeah. And I think doing an inventory about 
finding an avatar, a self-love avatar of someone that if you had to guess, must really love themselves and then take an avatar, take, pick an avatar of someone you can tell really doesn't love themselves. Based like. to, and then you basically go down the list and write down all the characteristics of the person that you can tell doesn't love themselves and make a list of all the characters of the person that appears to love themselves and then circle the ones that you are doing mm-hmm. on both sides of the fence so you can see where your work is. I like that. I'm it's, gonna do it's a that. big awareness. I'm, I'm making in the a face. note. I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's good. And I can give you more of the step-by-steps. But this yeah, is kind of we'll the, put it in the show notes. Let's definitely share that. Because that's such a great it's practice. It's such a, oh my God. Because they're usually, in, you're usually in so much judgment of the person you can tell doesn't love themselves. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would usually use my mom. Mm-hmm. And these are all the things that she does. And these are all the choices that she makes. Where in my life am I making those choices? Mm-hmm. Where Where's my edge? Where's my work to be done, right? Because we can't see in others what we can't see in ourselves. So that's a beautiful mirror and reflection. And then looking at your self-love avatar, was Oprah, oh, you know, she must hang around with people like this. And this is what she probably does. And da 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 So you can see where you get to lean into. And then when you get to that space, like self-worth is a practice. Yeah. Well, I think just living in joy and happiness. It's a practice that it's constant every day. And we've talked about this in this conversation and on the podcast. Like, but it's it's rewarding work because you deserve it. Yeah. I think we get so used to practicing being sad and so used to practicing being unhappy and so used to practicing like not being a victim. We that it's that we forget what it feels like to feel good. And like my students will go into like their joy week and it's like Oftentimes, people realize it's a lot harder to be intentional with joy because they practice being unhappy for so long. Mm-hmm. And so, like, how can you be the joy dealer in your life? How can you create intentional acts of joy all the time? Whether it's folding your laundry, how can you make that more fun? Mm-hmm. You know, so we are our own joy dealers and we have to take responsibility and let our partners off our hook, our dogs off our hook, our kids off the hook, the world off of our hook off the hook to make us happy. Like it starts with us in little baby steps every day. Just how can I give myself more love right now? Or how can I give myself, how can I create more joy in this now moment? Yeah. I love that, Amber. There's so many amazing things that you said. And we're going to put every way to find you in the show notes, including how to DM her or come to me. DM me if you want to go on a date with Amber. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then you can, you I'll can, bet it. You can bet them. And, and we'll run them through the list of non-negotiables, yeah. the commandments. And then maybe then I'll go. Maybe. That's new. Maybe. That's new for me, man. Like owning my worth enough to like not settle. Yeah. You know? And that's like, I've settled my whole life with every partner I've been with. No more. No moss. You've done the work. You need someone who's on your level. Yeah. And that's okay. And yeah. That's- so, Emily, if you get emails to the big silence, you can vet too. I'm ready to stalk <laughs> and filter out all those weeds. Yes. Please. Please. All right. Well, thank you, Amber Valdez, mm. for being here. And I know we'll go and talk a lot more. (laughs) Yes. Love you guys. Thank you all for watching or listening. And just you matter. You're worthy. Your light matters. You are enough. And it's all going to be okay. Like it's all just temporary. No matter what you're growing Mm -hmm. through, just know it's temporary. And it's the soul's curriculum that you called forth for you to learn and evolve and grow and expand. So honoring you in the the darkest moments, darkest shadows and 
that's a big part of what I teach is learning to love those shadows so you can transform those into the light and Mm -hmm. not push those away. And I think we did our fair share of stuffing Mm -hmm. those down and hiding those away. And now we're here loving those parts of ourselves and those parts of our past and those parts of our family that was we didn't own before. But it's all perfect. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out.